Proverbs is where we are, chapter 24. And we've been in Proverbs for uh, quite a while now. I don't know how many weeks it's been, but it's been a while. Wonderful book. If you're new to the Bible, it's in the Old Testament. So in the first half of the book, um, it's in a section we call Hebrew poetry. The writer is the Holy Spirit. Amen. We know that the whole, all of scripture is God breathed, God inspired. God used 40 different men on three continents over a 1500, 2000 year period of time to write the scripture, three different languages. Mostly Jews and some Gentiles had a hand in writing, yet it has one common message throughout because it has one author. And that's a beautiful thing, isn't it? Um, in particular, God using Solomon now to write to his children. We call it a book of wisdom um, because it is. And it's so wonderful and practical that it's speaking to every aspect of our lives. We have nothing has been uh, left unturned so far in the book of Proverbs. You can't escape it. If you sit here week in and week out, it's going to deal with some area of your life that the Holy Spirit is trying to speak to you on. Isn't that beautiful? And so it's so wonderful because we know that the Bible says of itself, the New Testament writers describing it as a, a two-edged sword that is very sharp and it divides between spiritual and carnal things and it's a discerner of the motives and intents of the heart. So even, even those things that you don't think may be your motive or intent, it exposes even to you as you get into the word of God. And so that's how powerful this book is, which means, I know I'm getting ahead of myself, that the simple fact that we are in this place, this time that God has ordained and we are opening the scriptures and we're gonna read from the scriptures and we're gonna discuss the scriptures, that, that it has the power right now in this hour that we're together to do some amazing things in you. Some of it is gonna be very encouraging and some of it can be a little bit uncomfortable at times. But it's all because God is trying to do something in you to conform you closer to the image of his son, that you will be who he's called you to be. And, and that's the beautiful thing about this as we've been going through it. We saw um, a lot of things over coming out of chapter 22 going into chapter 23, which I related or, or, or the application had a lot to do with your life during the week, wherever you go as a, I call it marketplace minister or even an ambassador of Jesus Christ, which we are all, all of us who are saved our ambassador so he's trying to use our lives in the world but now he's he's kind of shifting to these little short two to three verse proverbs that are focused now even on um i should say the family unit and so let's read a few verses and then we'll pray and dive in notice in chapter 24 verse 1 he says do not be envious of evil men nor desire to be with them for their heart devises violence and their lips talk of trouble making. He says, through wisdom, a house is built. And by understanding, it is established. By knowledge, the rooms are filled with all precious and pleasant riches. A wise man is strong. Yes, a man of knowledge increases strength. For by wise counsel, you will wage your own war. And in a multitude of counselors, there is safety. Wisdom is too lofty for a fool. He does not open his mouth in the gate. We'll stop there. Father, thank you for your word today, Lord God. I pray that you would now, Lord, do the thing that you do so well, 
that you would take all of the cares of this life and the burdens of this world, the things that are outside of this room away from us now, that you would even subdue the distractions in the room, Lord, that you would push the enemy and his meddling back and set a perimeter for him that he can't come in this area, that this moment, this space would be yours to speak to us and have your way in our lives, Lord. We submit to that, Lord, because we desire you to work in us. We love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Let's say together. Amen. Amen. All right. So wonderful scriptures. We dive in. Verse one and two go together. Where he says, do not be envious of evil men, nor desire to be with them for their heart devises violence and their lips talk of trouble making. This is a continual theme that Solomon is putting before us and before his children in particular, but also before us. And the issue, and in fact, just to kind of make sure we see that together, glance back at chapter 23, verse 17 and 18, just a few verses back, where he says, do not let your heart envy sinners. Y'all see that? We talked about envy last week. But be zealous for the fear of the Lord all the day long, for surely there is a hereafter and your hope will not be cut off. In other words, there is a hereafter. In other words, there's a time coming when all things will be reconciled, okay? Because now we see certain things, and and I'm not going to spend a lot of time here because we talked about this extensively last week. Um, There is, uh, if you will, a day of reconcilement coming. Don't be envious, envious of evil men. And the issue, I think, today in the time that we live in is that media, uh, media, Latin for middle or communicator, literally it puts uh, it puts before us certain things. And because it's controlled by the little God of this world, who is Satan, you know, the Bible calls him also the prince of the power of the air who now works in the sons of disobedience. Right. Before we were saved, we conducted ourselves the same way. Remember those verses, Ephesians chapter two, look at the first several verses in your own time. And so because Satan controls the airways, a lot of the media is geared towards causing our society to be envious, to actually be covetous. Because uh, Satan is really good at glamorizing, if you will, wickedness and evil people and what they are doing to the extent that it causes society to be envious and does a desire to go after those things. And verse one says, do not be envious of evil men, nor desire notice to be with them. Y'all see that? Satan is really good at enticing us with wickedness in this world. And he glamorizes it. And he's so good at it that you don't even sometimes notice it. And you get caught by it and you can miss it. And he makes what we know scripturally to be evil seem so good or makes evil people to be so good in our eyes sometimes. And it's a constant battle, especially for parents with children, in order to stay focused on the things of God and not get led astray by all of those things. And what Solomon has been trying to tell us, and we saw it back in chapter 23, verse 18, um, when we looked at it, um, that there is a hereafter. He's trying to tell us that we need to have a biblical eternal view of these things. In fact, not on the screen, just glancing back to Psalm 37, verse 1, it says, um, do not fret because of evildoers, nor be envious of the workers of iniquity, for they shall soon be cut down like the grass and wither like the green herb. In other words, their end is destruction. 
And so what we have to remember as he's been giving to us for our individual walk with God, that we would be victorious in it, is that when you become covetous, when you begin to envy, when you begin to see things that are drawing your attention away, that you realize, whoa, I'm being led astray, led away from the truth of my God. And I, and, and I notice I need to come back. Paul told the Philippians um, verses I really love in chapter four of Philippians. He says, um, think on things that are. And the first thing he says is true. I love that. Think on what is true. Well, what is true is I have eternal bliss laid out for me in heaven. I will be glorified with my Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. And then what happens is when you begin to think on things that is true, the word of God and what it says, it exposes the lie. Because the word of God reminds me that, well, wait, anything that you might covet, anything that you might desire is going to burn one day. Naked we came into the world and we didn't bring anything in and we ain't taking nothing out. Remember, that's what it says. So we learn to be content. We learn to focus on the Lord. And, it's, and, and that's what begins to clear up our hearts and our minds. When we turn back to the Lord, we get clarity. When we look at the world, we get deceived. When we look at the Lord and his word, we get clarity. But when we focus on the world, we become deceived. And so he keeps warning us. It's over and over and over. And I keep telling you that anytime there's something repeated over and over and over in Scripture, it's because we really, really, really need to hear it. Because at any point in our lives, any of us can become envious or covetous or we begin to think about you know, things that we think are important. And the reality is that they're not. The reality is the Lord could come for us this year. And the Bible says that that's to be our hope. And if that is our hope, then we're going to design our life around that truth. Does that make sense? But if I'm looking at the world, I'm being deceived. And so therefore, I'm going to design my life around a lie. And I'm going to live in fear of what might happen. That's called insurance. <laughs> Somebody caught We buy insurance because we're fearing what might happen. Anyway, never mind. Um, <laughs> So, so insurance is not bad. There's wisdom in that. But the, the thing is, I need to have a biblical worldview of everything that's going on and not focus on the things of the world. Um, become envious of those who have things that now I desire. And listen, here's the thing. Here's the test and here's the safety. I think I've shared it with you before. Anything that becomes a very strong desire, well, that's the definition of lust. And I'm not, I'm not to live that way. So if I got a strong desire... It's probably something that's drawing my heart too far in the wrong direction. And it doesn't really matter what it is. It needs to be checked at that point. This is how we begin to walk and be victorious in the Lord. Hey, man, Lord, I don't know why this thing has my attention so much. Can you correct that in me? You can talk to Jesus about it. You can be honest because he already knows. It's like, Lord, this thing has my attention. I'm too hyper-focused on this thing. I can't get this thing off my mind. And you begin to pray about whatever that thing might be that has you all focused on it. And everybody in here knows whatever that might be. And as I've told you before, the thing in, in and of itself might be good. You understand? It could actually be a thing that's good in, in the right, in the right uh, moderation and context. But if you're too focused on it, it's probably leading your heart in a direction that the Lord would, would not have it go. And so you balance that off. You temper that by coming back to focusing on the Lord and his word and allowing him to temper your heart because he wants all your heart. You know, Jesus says that God is, look, is seeking those who will worship him in spirit and in truth. You know, God said, the Lord said to the scribe who asked him, what's the greatest commandment? Well, Jesus says to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And the second is likened to it, to love your neighbors yourself. These two fulfill all the law. 
And so my heart should be the Lord's. And when it's not, when the Lord is, when there's something battling in my heart for all of its attention, that's a problem, even if it's a good thing. And so, all right. So we don't want to be envious. We don't want to desire too much of anything. We want to be balanced in the Lord. I want to be, I want to be someone who nothing that comes across my eyes, my path, or anything like that can catch my attention to the point that I'm no longer with the Lord. You follow what I'm saying? I want to belong to him. I want to walk with him because he's the only one I can count on. He's the only one you can count on. And so you got you to do battle in that. All right. Now, we verse 3 and 4 go together. Verse 1 and 2, we've seen that over and over and over. But verse 3 and 4, he hits something that we've talked about, but from maybe a different picture, if you will. Notice he says, through wisdom, a house is built, and by understanding, it is established. Very interesting verses. Um, a house is built is what he's saying in here. I kind of jump into the middle of the verse. A house is built. At first glance, we might think of the physical construction of a house, such as the home that you, you live in, or maybe the dream home that you want to build. Or for me, I'm consumed with the church building. I forgot to update you on that, by the way. And so when I read the verse, first thing that pops in my mind is, is, is right now framing is happening and duct work is going in and, and we're making, I, had to, I made a change order this week. I'm trying not to do too many of those, but something had to be changed. We got to move this thing because it's going to be in the way when we start doing what we do. And, and so all of that stuff and plans and engineers and stuff is happening. And you can begin to think about that because it does take wisdom to get that done. And anybody in any kind of project, you do need the wisdom of the Lord. That is exactly part of the truth here. But it's not what Solomon is really getting at, I believe. It's definitely not what the Holy Spirit wants us to take away from this. Okay? We do need wisdom to navigate building projects. But it's something else going on. The Hebrew word here for house, actually, is... Uh, I don't know, it's horrible. But listen, here's the truth of it. Pastor Kevin didn't pronounce it right, but here's what it means. That which is within. And often it's used in, an, in the Old Testament to speak of the family, the family not line, if you will, or a tribe. I call it a family unit. So here, it's not speaking of the outward physical structure, but the inward eternal structure of the souls that are within the house, which is more important. Because the reality is, I don't care, as I said earlier, what your house is like. And I know some of y'all have built amazing houses. I come over, you take me on tours, and we eat, and there's all kind of stuff going on. Man, it's like, man, you got to check out this filtration system I got, Pastor Kevin. It's like, man... <laughs> Like, whoa, you mean to tell me that thing take, that takes out certain micro levels of, back, of stuff and softens the water at the same time so it does this stuff to your skin and all this stuff and they tell me how it feels when you brush your teeth and stuff like that and, and then with the, the foundation and, we, and all these things and they got the humidifi dehumidifier under the house so we keep our underhouse moisture free and we put the water in. I mean, all the details of the construction and yet it's going to burn. Prayerfully, not anytime soon, but I'm talking about when the Lord, when the Lord comes back, it's going to burn. So that's not what he's speaking of. He's speaking of that which is within is what I think that the Holy Spirit wants us to get. There is a family unit. Here it is, Old Testament, many verses that kind of give us that implication. Genesis chapter 7, verse 1. And the Lord said to Noah, come thou and all thy house, I'm reading it in the King James here, into the ark. 
there's the same word there, for thee and thy, and, and I, I'm sorry, into the ark, for thee have I seen righteous before me in this generation. Sorry, I had to read it from the King James here because I wanted to get the Hebrew in there. But what he's saying is the house here, he wasn't saying, Noah, tear down your house, cart it up into the ark, and then you can rebuild it after the flood is gone. That's not what he was saying. Bring your house, your household. Genesis 16, 2, Sarah, we'll get to it in a minute what the build up means, but Sarah uses the same language. So Sarah said to Abram, see now, the Lord has restrained me from bearing children. Look, Abraham, I know God promised you that he was going to give you a son and we're old and he hasn't let that happen through my life. I can't do it. Um, so please go into my maid. Perhaps I shall obtain, there it is, children by her. But it's the same word. And we'll get into it in a moment. And Abram indeed heeded her voice. Deuteronomy I'm getting ahead of myself because we're talking about building up a house. And this is what the, the same Hebrew language is implying. Deuteronomy 25 verses 8, 7 through 10 says, but if the man does not want to take his brother's wife, let me jump in for a minute. In other words, if a man took a wife, but he died before they had children. Y'all with me? The law states that his brother is to take his wife and build up his house, it says in the Hebrew. Y'all with me so far? Um, so that this man won't go without a, a line without a, a family to his name. Okay. So if, if he doesn't want to do it, then let his brother's wife go to the gate to the elders. This is where things would be decided and say, my husband's brother refuses to raise up a name to his brother in Israel. The same language and the same Hebrew words are here to build up his brother's house. He will not perform the duty of my husband's brother. Well, then the elders of the city shall call him and speak to him. But if he stands firm and says, I do not want to take her, which is why in, in Hebrews, brothers got to, to give their brother the thumbs up when he got married or, or not. You know, um, anyway, <laughs> just in case you die, you make sure. Anyway. And if he did not want to take her, then his brother's wife shall come to him in the presence of the elders, remove his sandals from his feet, spit in his face and answer and say, so shall it be done to the man who will not build up. There it is again, same language, his brother's house. And we ain't talking about a physical structure. We're building up something. And his name shall be called in Israel the house of him who had his sandal removed. So the language here that Solomon is using is implying something totally different. There's a building up of a house that God has called us to do. In fact, we see that all the way back in Genesis chapter 1, verse 28, when the Bible says that God said to the, to the man and his wife that were made in his image, be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth. In other words, God says, hey, build up my house of humanity. That's what they were called to do. So there's a family union. This is why the Bible says um, in, in, uh, in uh, Malachi, he made the two one. Why? That he may seek godly offspring. It's the building up of a family unit that God is most concerned about. Not our physical houses and how well we are at good at building things up and how well we decorate it. All of that's great and it takes wisdom to do all of that. But there's something far be beyond that that's being discussed here. 
And so notice now with that mindset, let's look at the verse again. It says, through wisdom, a house is built. It takes wisdom to build up a house, meaning the family unit itself. Absolutely it does. Because, and, and remember, this is the most important thing to God. A lot of um, scholars have written the fact that, uh, and I think even Josephus talks about it, that they believe that what, what God would do when a man would die and stand before him is the first thing he would ask him is, did you take a wife? Did you found a family? Did you do that one of the most important things that I call mankind to do? You know, and in the times we live in today, we're allowing the world to dictate to us what we're supposed to do. And so the world kind of gives us this impression that you need to you need to get everything right first and you need to go out and explore and you need to you need to get all of these degrees and all of this kind of stuff. And don't have too many children because, you know, you know, that that's just that's just irresponsible people have even said, especially in the medical community. <laughs> Voice of Satan, which is why he works in institutions like Planned Parenthood and. Um, and through Margaret Singer and, and, and organizations like that that try to hinder that within what they call the undesirable people within the, you know, all that kind of junk. We know that stuff. But it's the founding of and the building up of a family that God is most concerned about. You know, and it's a beautiful thing to think about. I remember I used to tell you all all the time um, when Lisa was sitting in here, I would say, hey, I call Lisa my home because wherever she's at, I, there's a nickname. Hey, that's where home is. All right. And so when she went to heaven, home was there, for, you know, and I, you know, for a while, that's my head was was stuck there. I was I was not functional for a while um, because of what happens in this process of building a house, building a family of which God desires and he gives favor towards this. It's a beautiful thing. And that's why he says and this is why it takes wisdom. So it says over in Psalm 127. Unless the Lord builds a house, they labor in vain who build it. Because without him, you can't get it done. Yeah. And so even with um, in our congregation, we have a lot of single parents. We have single dads, plural, as well as uh, single moms, uh, many of them within our congregation. And so when we think about it, um, because God desires, see, but what happens is a, a marriage becomes a safe place for the development of children within a household. And, and the statistics say that children that grow up, especially without a father, are, are more likely to go through a lot of things. And most of the, it's a high percentage of kids in prison and addicted to drugs, uh, both of those uh, different types of situations that are that way because they grew up without a, a stabilized home environment where God has designed it to be. And so I see, I have so much respect for single parents, especially single moms. What happens is single parents are also still building a house, especially those who are godly and they're trying to do it the right way. And they're building a house and they also have to do so with the wisdom that God has given or is giving them. Now, what is wisdom? Let's look at the verse again. Through wisdom, a house is built. Well, wisdom we know is when we, uh, we're going to look at a lot of these things here in a moment. Um, let, me, let me give it to you now. Read through the verses again. Look at it with me. Verse 3 and 4. Through wisdom a house is built. That's number one. Through understanding is established. And by knowledge the rooms are filled with, with all precious and pleasant things. So those three words we've been dealing with over and over and over. So we understand that knowledge is information. We're gaining information in situations. We understand that uh, we've learned that understanding is, you know, what does this information actually mean? 
And then is wisdom, remember, is how do we now apply what we've learned in situations in our life to navigate the life that God has called us to. All right, we've learned that over and over and over. So this wisdom, remember, the Bible tells us that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Y'all remember that? It's coming to the knowledge. And it goes on to say, this is Proverbs 9, 10. You can write it down. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of the wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. I love that. It puts all three of those in the same verse. In other words, when I come to the knowledge of who he is, and I'm beginning to understand him as I walk with him and, and I fear him and I reverence him and I have a relationship with him. I'm gaining wisdom along the way. Proverbs 15:33 says the fear of the Lord is in the instruction of wisdom and before honor is humility. So now through wisdom, parents or husbands or wife, a house is built. It's not built through the wisdom of the world, but through the wisdom that comes from a relationship with the Almighty through Jesus Christ himself and the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life. That's the wisdom. Remember when I do weddings, those of you who have been to weddings, I always say when I'm doing the, the ring uh, demonstration, um, you know, something to the effect of that the husband alone is, is, uh, is chair of the board, the wife president, uh, you know, the word of God and the bylaws and everything subject to the leading of the Holy Spirit. Some language like that I, I love to throw in there and have fun with it. But this is the truth. It takes, it takes someone who is yielded to God to get through this because unless the Lord builds a house, they, and parents, you know this, they labor in vain who build it. So then let's come back to the verse. Well, then it's through God's wisdom that I'm able to build my house. But now in the Hebrew means to build, three implications, to build. In other words, I'm going to build something from scratch. And maybe some of you young couples are just starting out. You're building. But it also means to rebuild, which is good for some of, some of you who've been doing it for a while. And then it also means to cause to continue, to establish to the point of causing to continue. You see, there's three parts of that implication. So when he looks at it, look at it with me again. Through wisdom, a house is built. Well, it means that you're going to build your house through the wisdom of God. But the good news is that you can rebuild your house through the wisdom of God. Well, what does that mean? Well, it means for the, for the family unit in here now that's fallen apart, where the husband and the wife are ready to kill each other or go their separate ways, and they don't see any way that this thing can ever be redeemed. Or maybe you've thoroughly messed up as parents and you're, you're struggling with what's going on in your children and you don't know if you've got time, they're getting older, to correct it before they go out into the world. And it's all messed up, you might say. Well, I believe that through wisdom, you can rebuild your house. And I don't think God, you know, God is so good at things. He doesn't really, he doesn't remodel stuff the way we like to think of it. You know, we remodel based on what we have the resources to do. And sometimes that's not a complete redo. But when God comes through, he can literally demolish the thing and build it back brand new to the, to the point that you can't even recognize what it was before. That's the, the transforming power, the redeeming power that he can have in a marriage and in a home, even with children. This is the power of God in our lives. So it's through wisdom not only that I build, but it's also through wisdom that we rebuild. And it's through wisdom that we learn how to keep it going because it's not us that's keeping it going. It's the Spirit of God working in all of us as we submit to him. And this is something that we need to know. And, and Solomon has been hitting this thing throughout the text. It was back in Proverbs chapter 14, verse 1, where he says, A wise woman builds her house, but the foolish pulls it down with her hands. And so there are ways that we can destroy, we can tear down 
that which we're supposed to be building up. A lot of times it's with words, uh, abusive words and negative talk and, and, and being mean and being selfish and all of these things which the Holy Spirit is trying to convict us of so that we repent of it and we turn to God so that we can learn to do it in his wisdom. You know, so we can literally destroy the house that we're supposed to build. But remember, Proverbs is get, talking about everything. We have a responsibility as believers to not be hearers of the word but to also be doers of the word. And the Lord is not in the process of making wimps that just, or, or babies that just lay around and wait for him to do everything, but he's making disciples. There's a discipline to it. it. It means that as you hear and as the Holy Spirit is convicting you, now you have to put this to work in your own house. So there are things that he's going to show you about yourself that you must change. And by the way, he's not saying once your spouse or your your children begin to change, you change. No, you change first. You know, the thing about building a house, which is so beautiful, for those of us, I'm talking about in, in this context, those of us who um, have been married or bringing up children, and particularly for the men, and I'll, I'll get into this a little bit this evening, is that you have the, the power in the Lord to change the whole culture of your family unit. It can be messed up right now as you sit here, and the Lord can change you and caused you to start acting, living, functioning differently. And then the example that you then set begins to change things around. You know, like verses like, you know, quiet answer turns away wrath. You can test it. Go, go answer quietly for a week. See if the wrath goes away. The Bible is true. <laughs> you know, they'll, they'll get so frustrated with why you, ain't, why you ain't going off no more. And you ain't cursing back with me. And you ain't yelled in like three weeks. And something's wrong with them, you know. <laughs> They must be getting ready to pack up and leave or something. You know, <laughs> ladies, you start, you start giving quiet answers. Your husband's nervous to go to work now. <laughs> she ain't going to be here when I get back. She's different. What's going on? He's paying attention. Same thing for the, for the uh, husband to the wife. And, and then you begin to see the, well, wait, the word is actually beginning to work. What else does it say? What else do I need to do? And these, these things begin to be real in your life. Um, Matthew chapter 7 on the screen, verse 23 through 25, Jesus said this. Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine, here we go with that again. We talked about it last week and does them. He's not just hearing and saying that was a good Bible study, but he's actually doing them. He says, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on the house and it did not fall for it was founded on the rock. Now, I love the New Testament. We're looking at these, even though the Old Testament is written as an example for us, for us to learn about these things. But we as New Testament believers can look at the complete work of the canon of Scripture. And we understand that the New Testament writers have made it very plain to us that the rock is Christ. And we see many scriptures. Uh, Paul says over in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 that the rock that followed them, that provided water in the Old Testament was Christ. Um, the, the writer... Um, Peter writing in his epistle calls Christ the, the, the cornerstone, the, the stone which the builders rejected have become the chief cornerstone. And what we find is, is that he is the, the rock of our salvation. So what we find is that the, the foundation of our life is Christ. And when we build upon him, the Bible says no other foundation can any man lay except that which is already relayed, which is Christ Jesus. So then you build upon that. Now, that now puts it all in a, in, a, in a complete context for us. If you're building on something else, you know, you found some, some uh, guidance from the world of psychology, maybe. 
um, or you're trying to build it on whatever you're hearing from the world and it's not working. It's because it was designed to be built on a singular foundation, which is Jesus Christ himself. So it's time to rebuild. Maybe you got to do some demo and go in your house and take inventory. That's not founded on Christ. That's not resting on Christ. This is not resting on Christ. I, you know, I'm the kind of guy, too. This, this is what I do. This is the way I think of things. If I haven't touched something in, in, in a few years, I just throw it away. When it's time to clean up, because then I ain't gotta, I got to, that's my rule. I haven't touched it in three years, throw it away. Period. Except for family pictures. Anything else, if it hasn't been touched in three years, throw it away. I'm not going to use it because I haven't used it. And I don't have that mentality of that. I, maybe I will use it one day. That ain't going to happen. And you know why? Because I have a biblical mentality. No, the Lord's coming back. We ain't got that much time for me to maybe use it in, in 10, 15 years. So if I haven't used it in three years, get rid of it, and I'm light. You know what I'm saying? So the same thing. You go home and do inventory and say, these things are not founded on Christ. It's founded on some ideology that I got from the old days, and it doesn't make biblical sense. And therefore, I can't build my house on it because if I do, it won't stand. And you got to begin to change things. All right. Now, with a few more verses today we want to cover. I didn't even finish these, did I? Um, so through wisdom, a house is built by understanding it is established. So we're building something that's going to last. How we know it's going to last? Because the house he's talking about is the only house you take with you to heaven. Right? You, 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 the, the, the physical house you built, as we've established, that's going to burn when, when the Lord redoes the earth. You know, that's not going to be here. But the people, the people, the souls, your family unit, that you can take with you to heaven for all eternity if you're building it upon Christ Jesus. That's the beauty of the family unit. And I look around, even in here, and we're going to know each other forever, those of us who are saved. And your family, same thing. So I'm founded on Christ. Verse um, 4 says, the knowledge, by knowledge the rooms are filled with all precious stuff. Notice it's all precious and pleasant riches. Now there are two things that I want to I speak to here. In the spiritual sense, we've already covered it. It's filled with things that are wonderful, that are blessings in God. But I, I do believe that anybody who's living and conducting their lives with the wisdom that they're finding in God's word, there's also, if you will, a material, there's a material sense to that as well. In other words, as you, if you listen to what the book of Proverbs is telling you, Proverbs says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of the wisdom. Or let me turn to the Lord. The, Bible, the Proverbs says, hey, be careful to stay away from the seductress woman, guys, because her feet go down to hell and many men have turned in and they're dead and she's brought down many mighty of them. Then I can flip it. Ladies, same thing. Don't turn into the, the, the seductress man because he's going to destroy your life. Okay, so, the, the, so it's saying that be faithful to your husband. It says, uh, why you drink from somebody else's cistern? Learn to love what you have. Let your wife's breast satisfy you uh, for the, your whole life. You know, that's what it's saying. So then he says, okay, also, hey, hey stay away from debt. And don't co-sign for anybody. And be diligent like the ant to work hard to provide for next season and this season. I'm just quoting where we've been. Y'all get it? So as I'm doing those things, well, there should be a natural overflow of some level of wealth building just because you're using the wisdom that God says. And if you're doing everything that he says do the way he says do it, there's going to be some effect to that. And so you can't really escape that even though that's not the focus of the message. Everybody with me? Yeah, that should just kind of be a natural flow. Proverbs says that a good man leaves an inheritance for his children's children, meaning a good man is not just trying to leave his kids something. He's already thinking about his grandkids. That's, that's what Proverbs says. So I'm, I got I to gotta apply what it, what it says. So when people in the world says, I'm spending my children's inheritance, that's because they're dumb. 
they haven't read the book of Proverbs. No offense. <laughs> Proverbs, that's in, that's in contradiction to what the Bible says. Anyway, all right. So, verse 5. Let's keep rolling. Want to get a few. Verse 5 says, a wise man is strong. Really? Isn't that something? Yes, a man of knowledge increases strength. I love that verse. He's not saying a wise man can bench 300 pounds because in his wisdom he got strong. It's not what he's implying at all. He's saying kind of the same thing David said, and David slayed giants. David said, oh, Lord, God, my strength. Remember in the psalm, David says, so what is, what's, what's actually going on here? It says, listen, a wise man is strong because he's doing it God's way and he's relying on the Lord. And because of that, he's strong. Even if you don't think you're strong, you can become strong in the Lord. And a man of knowledge increases strength. Your strength is increasing the more you rely on the Lord. How can I be weak when the Lord is my strength? If you, verse 10, I'm just going to jump ahead real quick. If you faint in the day of adversity, your strength is small. That's because your strength is, is in yourself. Man, man, people were saying to me early in the year, you're so strong. And I'm thinking to myself, I ain't got no strength outside of the Lord. I wasn't strong at all. I was ready to quit and be done. There was no strength, but the Lord, the Lord holds you. So what happens is when adversity comes, you actually find what your foundation really is. It gets exposed at that moment. So you increase in strength the closer you get to the Lord. Verse 6, we're almost done, but it says, for by counsel... You will wage your own war. And in the multitude of counselors, there is safety. And, you know, it, it's not implying that you're going to wage your own war in and of itself. But just like verse 5, is, you're going to do that in the wisdom provided to you by God. Because the reality is, is that you, you're, if you're a believer, and if that's you, nod at me if you are. Okay. Then you are going to face war regardless of whether you like it or not. You're already in a war. As soon as you became a believer, there was a target put on your back. In other words, Satan wants to destroy you or render you useless as far as glorifying God with your life. Okay. But through, but by wise counsel, the Bible says, and, and, and we know that counsel comes from the Lord and from fellowship with the people of God. You will wage your own war. In other words, in your own life, in your own sphere of influence, with the things that come against you, you will wage a good warfare for the, the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, you will do that through the wisdom given to you by the word. And, and then it goes on to say, and in a multitude of counselors, there is safety, which speaks of the fellowship of the body of believers. You need to have um, people in your life who are, it doesn't mean you're going to talk to everybody about your stuff, but you need, to have, you need to have people who have the wisdom of the Lord in your life that will not only give you counsel, but pray for you and remind you of what the word says when you're too weak to go look for it. And that's why if you, when you come to church, if, if you're a Christian and you are not participating in the fellowship of the body of Christ. I mean, you, you, you know, let's say you, even if you're a Christian who comes to church, because when a Christian doesn't come to church, that's horrible because you can't get that. So if you're trying to watch, be a part of church through live stream, you're not a part of church. If you're sick and you got to do it that way, that's amazing. But if you're healthy, then you're being lazy and you're not participating in the body of Christ. And, and if you do come to church in person, but as soon as the worship leader says, amen, you already out the door. 
you know, get into the car, then, then that's not wise. But when you're participating within the body of Christ and you have fellowship within the body of Christ and you can say to someone, as I said to someone in first service, I need to talk to you about prayer, about something, you know, then you, you also give the Lord opportunity to speak to you to a greater degree. It's best that you hear from him yourself when you spend time in the word and in prayer. But there are times when he needs to send someone to give further clarity. Uh, or if you just fellowshipping that they may have a word of knowledge or wisdom that for you in that moment that you need to hear as well. So we want to be participating in the body of Christ. Notice he says, and we'll end in verse 7, he says, wisdom is too lofty for a fool. He does not open his mouth in the gate. We learned earlier that the gate is the place where decisions were made. It's where the elders, the leaders would decide things that had to do with, with, the, with the city and, and the people within the city. Well, the fool, Solomon doesn't like the fool. Remember, we define the fool. The fool, the fool says there's no God. The fool doesn't want any wisdom, doesn't want knowledge, hates knowledge, hates wisdom, doesn't want anybody to tell him anything, thinks he knows everything himself. And all he wants to do is, is talk, never listen. Okay, the fool does the same thing over and over and over thinking that something's going to change. Right. We talked about that. Solomon doesn't like the fool. So wisdom is too lofty for the fool. The fool is never really truly learning because he doesn't want to hear from anybody. So he doesn't have anything to give on important matters. So he doesn't have a voice at the gate. We've been learning this over and over and over as we go through the Proverbs, because Solomon is saying to his children, hey, don't spend time with the fool. Back in chapter 23, verse 9, do not speak in the hearing of a fool, for he will despise the wisdom of your words. So don't waste your time, he's saying, and don't get caught up with them. And he's definitely saying to his children, do not become one. You know, and he's saying that over and over and over. When something's repeated, it's for our good. Amen? Amen. But we're out of time. Let's pray. Bow your heads with me. Father, we do thank you today for allowing us to be here, to hear what you would say. Lord, as we seek to take these things and put them into practice in our lives. I pray that you would continue to let them marinate in our hearts, to continue to shed light on these truths, to teach us how to apply them. I pray that you would go before us this week, Lord God, that you would protect us, give us wisdom, give us discernment, and all the things that we need, that we may glorify you with our lives, Lord. Until we meet again, we love you. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and sing.